Well, hey everyone, Happy New Year, and thank you so much for being with us this weekend. Uh, as we look out at 2021, I'm really filled with a lot of faith and hope, uh, not based in a vaccine, not based in our circumstances, but really anchored in God. And I can't wait to unpack some of that with you. Uh, beginning next weekend, we're gonna kick off a brand new teaching series called Great Expectations. And it's a great expectations that are, are anchored in God's character. We're gonna be looking at one of the most quoted passages in the entire Old Testament of the Bible and how God reveals himself and at really the anchor points of his character and how it can fill us with hope and expectation. Next year, we can expect God's compassion. We can expect God's love. We can expect God's faithfulness. We can expect God's provision and how these things can fill us with a sense of hope as we go into an uncertain time um, in our lives. And really every day is uncertain. So beginning next weekend, make sure to be here and join me as we dive into great expectations. Well, I wanna thank all of you that are joining us online, people from all over the world that are leaning in and watching. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for making Central Online a part of your weekend. And uh, we're grateful to have you guys joining us for this experience. And I'm gonna throw it now to Pastor Nick Bodine, who's gonna be sharing a powerful and meaningful message of hope that'll give courage and insight to all of us. So let's give it up for Pastor Nick. What's going on, Central Church? Hey, I wanna give a shout out to everyone watching from a live location, to all of you watching online, either in your car, maybe you're in your living room, at work, your mobile phone, just thanks so much for being with us, and the incredible opportunity we as a church to have family inside prison facilities that through our partnership with God Behind Bars, let's give it up really big for them. Thank you so much for being online with us. Well, church, we are here 2021, 2020 is in the past. Is anybody excited that 2020 is now behind us? That was a crazy year. I wanna be one of the first to wish you a happy new year. And I don't know if you've ever just seen a video that kinda of like encapsulates your emotions over something. I watched this video on Instagram that was like perfect to how I feel about 2020. So this is how I felt all year long. Are you crying? No, not I'm not. Okay. I'm happy. You're happy? I'm laughing. Oh yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else had those sentiments all year where I just kept trying to put on a smile, trying to convince myself that I was happy, but it was a hard year. It was a really a hard year, but we're here. And I wanna talk about how we can use 2020 to set us up for a really good 2021. But before I do, what I first wanna do is I wanna get us in the right spirit and I wanna celebrate just some incredible, uh, something incredible from 2020. And that was our food efforts here at Central and all the different communities that we have, church locations, church. We are, over, we are able as a church to serve over 10 times the amount of food than we ever have in any given year. Give it up really big for God. Just showing up and providing. Give it up really big for you. You know, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you who stepped up. You helped give resources to make this happen. You helped volunteer your time to make that happen. We have incredible leaders and Pastor Mike and Pastor Judd that just led the way. And we have a really good God that used a really hard year and turned it for good. So just thankful for that. Well, January 2021. It's here January, I always have mixed feelings coming to January because January is my birthday month. 
And so as a kid, whenever January would come around, I'd get really excited. It's my birthday month. Christmas is over, and now more presents are like 20 days away. But now, as an adult, I don't feel as excited whenever January gets here because that just means another year older. And I'm turning 38 this year. And I know for some of you, you're like, that's not old. But 38 is closer to 40 than it is 35. At 37, I could still say I'm in my mid-30s. You can't do that at 38 anymore. You can't round down. You have to round up. And it's not that 40 is old or I'm not really excited to turn 40 and all that my 40s will bring. It's just the changes in myself that I'm starting to notice as I get older. One of those changes is my eyesight. I've always had incredible eyesight. I've already always been able to see small words from really far away. That's never been a problem. I've never thought that I would need to be a glasses person. No offense to those who need glasses. I've just always had great eyesight. Well, this last couple years, I've noticed that my eyesight is starting to cause me some issues, that anytime I would read text messages, anytime I would read emails, anytime I would drive at night, I would start to get these headaches, and I would start to get headaches, and when I get headaches, I get in a really bad mood. Uh, I turn into the worst version of myself. Until that headache has gone away, like, my attitude is just poor. And so I was telling my friend Ariel about these headaches that I'm getting. And it wasn't just email, text, cars uh, at night. I know those very things in their very nature can cause headaches. It was anything that I was reading. I love reading books. And if I was reading books, I was getting headaches. So I'm telling my friend Ariel about this. And she's like, it sounds like you have uh, an eyesight problem that you might need glasses. I thought, there's no way. I don't need glasses, never needed glasses, always had great eyesight. I'm not even going to entertain the idea of glasses. Well, we end up going on with our day, doing separate things, and then Ariel comes back to me and says, hey, I made you an eye doctor appointment. I said, you did? She's like, I did. I went ahead and made you an appointment. And I said, okay, uh, when is it? And I'm expecting like three weeks. Surely I can find an excuse to get out of this appointment. She's like, no, it's in 30 minutes, and you better get going. I thought, I better get going if I'm gonna make that appointment. She was being a good friend. She knew that I would find excuses to get out of it. She was gonna take away all excuses. She knew my afternoon was free and open. And the truth is when Ariel tells you to go do something, you just do it. If you know Ariel, that's the case. So I headed to the high doctor. And when I got there after about an hour of tests, find out that I have astigmatism in my right eye, which is causing the light to come in slightly different into my right eye, just a little bit but enough for it to be out of focus that my left eye would have to compensate for my right eye. And that was causing me headaches. That was changing my perception and that was changing my attitude. You see the books, the, the emails, the text messages, the driving at night, those weren't the problem. Those could do me a lot of good. The problem was my perspective and my vision. And after I got reading glasses on, everything changed. I was in a good mood anytime I would read text, emails, the thing is, my perspective had to change so that I could change my attitude. And there's a similar story in the Bible about a perspective change, and it's not so much to do with glasses or astigmatism, but it did have to do with vision or the lack there of vision. So today we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9, and this is known as Paul's conversion story. So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he uh, started a lot of the early churches. Paul, who gave us Romans, and the uh, verse we say every single week, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, very good. Who could be against us? Paul was an absolute weapon for Jesus in spreading the good news. But this wasn't always the case. Paul, formerly known as Saul, grew up a devout Jew, engulfed in the Jewish faith. He would have tried to follow all the Ten Commandments. 
He would have tried to eat all the right things. He, in fact, some would even say that Paul had the whole Old Testament memorized. The whole thing. All 39 books he had memorized. I have a hard time just saying those 39 books in order, let alone recalling passages by memory. But that was Saul. He could, he could uh, recall the Old Testament. So Saul is a Hebrew name, and that was pre-Jesus. And then after today's story where he runs into Jesus, he'll be known as his Roman name, which is Paul. So to clear the whole Saul-Paul thing up, you might hear me say Saul, you might hear me say Paul. I will try to keep it in the context of pre-Jesus or post-Jesus, but Saul was pre-Jesus, Paul was post-Jesus. And so we're gonna find Saul traveling the road to Damascus. Now, quick little side note, when my wife heard that I was telling this story today of Saul's journey to Damascus, she goes, oh great, you can tell my 2021 joke. Now, my wife is like the queen of dad jokes. There should be a category for mom jokes because they can be just as corny. But I said, what's your 2021 joke? She's like, in 2021, I wanna be like Saul. I'm like, okay. She's like, I wanna be on the road to Damascus, to Damascus. <laughs> You're welcome, babe. That one was for you. She was so proud of that. But yeah, Saul, he's on the road to Damascus. He's on a mission to find those of the way or those that were disciples or believers in Jesus. And he wants to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't necessarily because he was an evil person. It wasn't necessarily because he just had hatred in his heart. Saul actually thought he was on a righteous mission, a godly mission. See, Saul wasn't one of the disciples that got to experience the teaching, the miracles, the resurrection of Jesus. What he thought is he thought that there's this group of people who stopped following God and started following a false teacher named Jesus of Nazareth. He figured that since Jesus died, that he being called the Messiah, that, that was an issue. That was a problem, and that is not a message, a false teaching that he wanted to spread around the region. So a Messiah that died would have been such a problem, such a disturbance in the Jewish faith that Saul, he felt justified in his thinking that something had to be done about this. This disturbance needed to be stopped, and in order to do so, there were a group of people that just needed to be punished. So Saul's walking on this road to Damascus. He's going to arrest Jesus' followers. He thought he was doing the right religious things. He thought he was following up, holding the law, and it wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus that he realized he had it all mixed up. So we're gonna go to Acts chapter nine. That's where we're gonna be today, verse three. When we get to the red word, make sure to say it out loud with me. That's what we do here at Central. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly, I want you to remember that word because they're gonna come right back to it, shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. In an instant, suddenly, one encounter with Jesus and Saul realizes he had it all wrong. A whole upbringing, a whole learning, a whole training. He was an expert in the Jewish faith. He had the Old Testament memorized from front to back. He thought he knew all that there was to know when it came to God, his plans, his purpose. And in one instant, everything changed for, Paul, for Saul, suddenly. The problems from 2020, they came on pretty suddenly, didn't they? I mean, I don't think any of us were ready for what 2020 had to bring. We're going along our way and boom, we're knocked to the ground. And it was really unimaginable. And if it didn't present new problems in 2020, it definitely highlighted current ones, maybe ones that were under the surface, maybe ones that we kept covered up and we couldn't cover them up anymore. And for a group of us, the best thing we knew to do was to pray, God, 
I need you to fix this. I need you to show up and I need you to fix this problem. That's what we do when we start to get in a situation, right? We pray for God to show up and fix the problem. God, this pandemic, it's a problem. I need you to show up and fix it. God, this coronavirus is a problem. Come remove it from this earth. God, our politics, our nation's politics, they're a problem. Come heal our political system. Or God, can you stop those Kansas City chiefs? They are a problem right now. Fix it. And that's what we know to do. We pray for God to show up and fix or remove the problem. And let me tell you, church, that's not a bad prayer. That's not a wrong prayer. God wants to get in the middle of our mess. He wants to fix our problems. But sometimes it's not about the problems. The problems aren't the actual problem. Sometimes the problem is our perspective. We tend to think that God's presence is there for us to fix our problems. Can I challenge you today that maybe his presence is offered not to fix our problems, but to fix our perspective so that we have a new way to see our problems. And maybe this new way of seeing our problems is gonna show us that they're not actually problems at all, but they're opportunities. You've spent the last nine months, year at home, more with your spouse than you've ever spent with them before. It is not the greatest time for you because it's just highlighting problems that could have already been there. But maybe there's not all problems there. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Or you've been forced to become a teacher and an expert in sixth grade math and science. Come on, I have had to do that the last five months. It is not fun. But maybe that's not so much a problem. Maybe that's an opportunity. Or you're a social person, you love getting out, you love new experiences, you're a seven, you're an extrovert, like just give me all the things outside of my home, and this last year you've been forced to be home more than you ever had, you've had to slow down, but maybe that's not a problem. Maybe that's an opportunity. God's presence is sometimes offered to fix our perspective, not to remove the problem. It's all about how we see things, and we need to start seeing things through his eyes and not our own. So today we're gonna unpack uh, that. We're gonna unpack how to do that. And the first thing that we need to do to see things through God's eyes, to see things through his perspective, is we need to get up off the ground. The very first thing we need to do is we need to get up off the ground. I can't move further today unless I tell you we need to get up off the ground. I am a handy guy. I've kind of learned just kind of handyman skills, doing things around the house, how to do them on my own. Uh, That's only happened over the years, a lot of training. Uh, My father-in-law, a big part in that, just showing me different ways that I can fix things. But that hasn't always been the case. And in my early 20s, when I had just first married Laura, we moved into our first townhome together. I had to install a ceiling fan in our living room. Now, I don't know if you ever installed a ceiling fan. It's not necessarily complicated once you know how to do it, but there's some learnings there. And one of those learnings I learned there is that whenever you're installing electrical, whether you have help there or not, you should always be the one to go and shut the circuit breaker off. And you should always test that the circuit breaker is shut off. I, uh, on the other hand, had some help. They will, rena- they will be nameless. I will not name them. Um, let's just say they're like a father to me, not my father-in-law. They're like an actual father to me. And <laughs> they told me that the circuit breaker is off. And I said, you're sure? They said, I'm sure. Now, I don't know if it was just labeled wrong. I don't know if they accidentally flipped the wrong one. But when I got up on the top of that ladder, I was balancing that fan, trying to get the wires close enough 
And with my bare hands, I touched those two wires together and there was still electricity there. It sent such a shock through my body that it sent me flying off that ladder, sent me crashing to the ground. It sent the fan crashing to the ground. I was just laying there on my back. I feel like I know exactly what Saul felt like when he saw a bright light, he got knocked to the ground and he had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I didn't have an actual encounter with Jesus in that moment, but I feel like I was really, really close to going there. So we continue in the story. That's exactly what just has happened to, to Saul. He's been knocked to the ground. Bright light. Everything he thought that he stood for, was justified in fighting for, has now been called into question. And Saul's on the ground, realizing he's been wrong all along. And we're going to go to uh, Acts 9, verse 8. It says, Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Now, I want you to notice the order of this verse. Saul did what first? He picked himself up off the ground. And then what did he do? He then tried to open his eyes. He then tried to see. He didn't wait till he had his vision back. He didn't try to open his eyes and understand. What he did first is he got up off the ground. We all have these moments in life where we're gonna be knocked to the ground. Maybe 2020 was that for you. Maybe 2020 was a year that you got knocked to the ground, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe 2020, you ended up just fine. But whether it was or it wasn't, there will be more moments that we're knocked to the ground. I feel like our tendency when we're knocked to the ground, it's, it's just to stay down there, isn't it? I mean, we love to try to figure things out from the ground. We try to get our eyes open and make sense of it all before we do anything else. And a lot of times, shame and guilt and disappointment and embarrassment and pride and fear and depression and anxiety, those things like to keep us on the ground and then we start to play the victim game. How could this happen to me? How could this happen to me? I, it's already been a, a rough year financially and now I have to worry about whether I have a job or not? How? Or I'm a single parent and now I also have to be a full-time teacher? I can't be in two places at once. Doesn't anybody see me? Maybe if I just shut down, it'll all go away. But I want you to take notice of Saul's story. God's told Saul, get up off the ground. And what did he do? He got up off the ground. No sight yet. In fact, he won't even be able to see for the next three days. He didn't even try to open his eyes before he got up. He just trusted God. He stood back up on his feet. I don't know who in the room this is for. I don't know who online this is for, but when the problems from this last year, they make you feel like you are not good enough, when you feel depressed about the person that you've become, when your anxiety seems to attack on a daily basis, when you feel like you are not enough for your spouse or your family, when you feel that if your friends really knew what was going on, they would be ashamed of you, when you can't take just one more thing, when you feel like you messed up, slipped up, fell back in the habit of, and you think that you've fallen out of God's love, I want you to know there is nothing Nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You can stand back up. You are worthy. You are loved. You are covered in his grace. He wants to make you a new creation. He saw you through it, and you're here today. You did not come this far to only come this far. You stand up. You keep going. You keep your head held high. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. And we might not be able to see clearly yet, but let's get ourselves up off the ground because we are his and we were created for a purpose. So Saul got up off the ground, but then what happened? He realized he was blind, which brings us to our next point. To see things through God's eyes, we need to focus on faith. Focus 
on faith. Now, when I say faith, I think all of us have different definitions of faith, and I need you to understand the type of faith that I'm talking about. So to help illustrate this, I have a volunteer already lined up. I'm gonna welcome Pastor Brandon back out. Can you help him give it up big for Pastor Brandon? All right, Brandon, I need you to make this into a blindfold. It's clean, and, it's, and I need you to put that on and, and put that over your eyes. All right, and then what I need you to do after you get that secure is I need you to trust me. I'm gonna give you some instructions, and I just need you to follow along. Do you trust me? Uh, yeah. He says, yeah, sure, okay. So the first thing I'm gonna have you do is I'm gonna have you take a step to the left, the podium's out of your way. To the left, to the left. One more step to the left. Okay, to the right, to the right. Do another step to the right, to the right. Now kick, now kick. Now walk it by yourself, now. Yeah, you're doing the Cupid shuffle. Okay, turn back, if you can turn back, yeah, like what is that, 45 degrees, stay still. Put your hands straight out in front of you. And I want you, without reaching behind you, keeping your hands out in front of you, I just want you to make a sitting motion. Sit all the way back like there's a chair behind you. Just, no, like actually commit. Commit to, commit to the chair. Oh, look at that. Was it the, I didn't let you down. You didn't fall down. Give it up for Brandon. You can take the blindfold off as you go off stage. Thank you, Brandon. Now there's a similar activity done with little kids where Sunday school teachers or teachers trying to teach about faith, they'll get a chair on the stage and they'll put it up there and they'll say, okay, Quinn, I want you to come up on stage. Everyone welcome Quinn up on the stage. Quinn will come up, she'll stand in front of the chair and then they'll say, okay, Quinn, I want you to sit down in that chair and Quinn will sit in the chair and then they'll say, class, give it up for Quinn. She had so much faith that that chair would hold her. Now that is faith. That is a little bit of faith. But my only problem with that teaching is Quinn could know and see that there was a chair there. And unless until this moment in her life she's just had some traumatic fluke incident where a chair is broken on her, it's relatively easy to trust that that chair could hold her. But the kind of faith I'm talking about is much different. The kind of faith that I'm talking about is being able to trust in the one that can see when you can't see. You see, in its essence, it's believing when you can't see. When you don't know if there's a chair there or not, for these kids, their faith was in the chair or in the chair builder. It was not in the one that could see when they could not. And that's what faith is. Brandon could not see. He had to trust me who could see. Faith is not being able to see, but trusting the one who can. So when we go back to our story of, of Saul in Acts chapter nine, verse eight, it says, when he opened his eyes, he was blind so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now you might be wondering, why did God blind Saul? Was this a punishment? Was this because of all the bad that Saul had done? He must have had it coming. I mean, if you have it all wrong, God will make you pay the price, right? Saul was cruel, so God was now gonna repay him with cruelty. No, I don't believe that. That's not the character of God. That's not the character of God I've read about that I've seen again and again in the Bible. God didn't blind Saul to be cruel or to punish him. God blinded Saul because he loved him. Now you might be thinking, that, that can't be it, Nick. Jesus 
from the New Testament. I've read the stories. He was kind. He healed the blind so that they could see. Now God's punishing, or now God's rewarding and, and showing people kindness by blinding them? Yeah, that's right. God was showing his love for Saul by blinding him. God removed Saul's sight as a gift. How is it a gift? What God did is he helped Saul focus on his faith and not his sight. Saul's sight was telling him that those who were Christ followers were wrong, that they were a problem, that they were bad. Saul's sight was telling him that the Jewish upbringing justified persecution of a group that he felt was causing a disturbance. Saul's sight was not allowing him to see Jesus as the Messiah, as his savior. Saul's sight had him focused more on the law and his own understanding than on God's love. Saul's sight was causing him to miss God's greatest gift to humanity. Saul's sight was a problem. So God took it away from Saul so that he would focus on his faith and not his sight. Here's something that we can learn from this story. The enemy of faith, it is in doubt. The enemy of faith, it's sight. We tend to think the enemy of faith is doubt, that if you don't have faith, you have doubt. I either believe that the chair is right there and it will hold me, or I doubt that the chair is right there and it will hold me. But that is not faith. That's our own opinion or feeling. It puts zero trust in the one that can see when we are blind. The real enemy of having faith is our own sight because sight convinces us that we don't need anyone else. It gives us permission to try and do things on our own and not trust in God. Sometimes we need years like 2020 to happen, to happen so suddenly, to happen so instantaneously that it knocks us to the ground to take away our sight, what we're focused on, what we believe is important in life, to slow us down so that God can tell us, get up off the ground. I know you're scared, doesn't seem like you can see right now, but in your lack of vision, in your lack of understanding, I'm doing something greater in you. I'm strengthening your faith. So let's not worry if we can see the future. Let's not try to have it all figured out. I can rest easy in the fact that there's a God and I'm not him. I don't need to see it all, I just need to get up off the ground, have faith in my God that he has good plans for me and they're not to harm me. Listen, don't let what you can see blind you from who God wants you to be. Don't let what you can see blind you from who God wants you to be. Sometimes we need to lose our sight so we can focus on our faith in him. And that brings us to our last point, which is to take another look Take another look. There's these stories, there's these uh, pictures. You can Google, Google like double take pictures or take another look pictures. They're pictures that deceive the eye that the camera was just at the right angle at the right time and the depth effect and everything just kind of tricks your eyes. It causes you to go back and take a second look. This first one here is these pigeons that look like they're the size of cars. I already don't like pigeons at all. I think they're dirty birds. Um, the fact that there's pigeons the size of cars in this picture, that freaks me out. But if you look closely, you can see that this ledge and the street below are like the same color. They're actually on a ledge and it's just the depth perception tricking your eyes. But nonetheless, it makes you think that there's big scary birds the size of cars. This other picture here, this is a dog that looks like a human sitting on an airplane. You can't see that there's a person kind of laying on the dog uh, as a pillow. But nonetheless, that's what it looks like. Or this last one here, I don't remember the back of Kevin Durant's head looking like that, uh, but nonetheless, it causes you to do a double take. It, takes you, it causes you to look again and see what's really going on there. And that happens in our story 
with Saul. There's actually a couple double takes, a couple times where someone had to go and look away again. So Saul's on his way to Damascus. He's had an encounter with Jesus. A bright light has knocked him to the ground. He gets up off the ground. He realizes he's blind. He realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And then his friends will lead him to Damascus where he'll spend the next three days blind. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, and now God is gonna bring a new character into the story named Ananias. Now God appears to Ananias telling him that there is a man who's staying in Damascus named Saul. He's been in a house blind for, and praying for three days and God wants Ananias to go lay hands on him so that he can see again, healing him of his blindness. And I absolutely love this story, this conversation between Ananias and God. In Acts chapter nine, verse 13, it says, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Saul is a bad man. Saul is seen as an evil person to these Jesus followers. Saul is seen as enemy number one to their faith. But look at what God says next. It says, the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Simply put, God took a messed up, a broken, a confused sinner, and he gave him a second chance to be an instrument to advancing his kingdom. He was telling Ananias, I know what it looks like, Ananias. I know what it is perceived to be, but I know this man's past. Go back and look again. Go back and take another look. I'm doing something here, Ananias. I'm gonna use Saul in a big way. Take another look. Over the course of those three days, I believe he was telling Saul when Saul was feeling guilty and ashamed, he was saying, Saul, I know you feel like you're not good enough, that you're no longer worthy enough, that you've fallen out of my good grace, but I want you to look again. I want to use you, Saul. Take another look. Some of the greatest things you're gonna see God do in your life, they're gonna happen because you went back and you looked again. Some of the greatest things you're gonna see God do are the things that you were about to give up on, that you were about to walk away from, that you were about to throw in the towel on, but you bent back just one more time to give it a second look and you saw it differently. There was a meme I read that says, uh, I can't get over the fact that this new year is called 2021. As if 2020 didn't lose, but 2021. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I disagree. Sure, 2020 might have thrown some hard punches. There might have been some swings we weren't ready for, but the fight is not over. The bell has not rung. We know 2020's game plan now. The saying has never been more true that hindsight is 2020. The only way 2020 wins is if you didn't learn anything, if I didn't change, if you're not a better person because of it, if it takes you to the ground and it keeps you down, then it wins, but it didn't win, it didn't do that, and even if this next year is just like this last year, we don't have to be, we can change. We get up off the ground and we take another look. Now for some of us in the room, God pulled you through a really hard year, and you learned some things. You attended church every single week, you maybe even tried serving at a food pantry, volunteering your time, or maybe you tried generosity out this last year and it did a lot of good in you. 
Maybe you found Jesus closer than you ever have. Saul's story goes on to tell us that after Saul had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, after he was healed of being blind, the Bible says, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying he is indeed the son of God. Saul's preaching, it became more powerful and the Jews in Damascus, no one could refute it. No one could refute the proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And maybe for you in 2021, when you go back and you look again, you carry all the things that God sustained you with from 2020 into the new year. And you keep growing in that. You continue to make church a priority. In fact, we'll never take the fact that we can meet together in a room for granted again. You serve others more that you continue to focus on the joy that generosity brings. Simply put, when you go back and look again, you focus on the things of God that sustained you this last year. And you make sure to prioritize those things into your future. We remember that it's not about us, but it's about him and it's about serving his people. And that's where we find our joy. That's where we find our happiness. That's how we win, not 2020. 2020 doesn't get to win. We go back and we look again. Or for some of us, 2020 was a mess. 2020 was full of confusion and frustration and it was hard and we found ourselves impatient, annoyed, upset, frustrated with the things that were out of our control. Maybe for you, taking another look is finding the good in the things that were hard and you bring those into 2021. Yes, it was hard having my kids home all day, every day, but parents, the days that they're under your roof, they're numbered and it's not that long. So in 2021, soak up and take advantage of the time you have with them. Or there's those of us that have lost our jobs it's been devastating. And in 2021, my prayer for you is that you will hold on to the promise of scripture. It tells us that God will provide for us everything we need. I pray that you find comfort in that promise and, I, and that you find work again and that each one of us finds joy in our job, never taking it for granted again. Or maybe in 2020, you can make a list of all the things that you weren't able to do, that you couldn't do. And 2021 for you could be all about setting priorities, boundaries, and never again will you let the things you cannot do interfere with all the things that you can do. 2021 will still have its frustrations, but you don't have to stay frustrated. This year will still have its frustrations, but you do not have to stay frustrated. Take another look. Find the good in the situations that you found frustrating. Don't let 2020 win. Change your outlook and you'll change your attitude. You go back and you look again. And then some, for some of us, this year was absolutely devastating. This year, you found yourself at rock bottom. You didn't see the sense or the purpose to keep pushing through the struggle. I want you to hear me. Don't give up. I urge you to take another look. Maybe you were about to give up on your marriage. But maybe if you went back and you looked at it again, you can start focusing less on what your spouse isn't doing for you and what you can be doing for your spouse. You might see something before that you didn't see. Just take another look. Or maybe you were about to give up on your sobriety. The stress is too much to bear. The anxiety is too much. But just go back one more time and take a second look at the person you are when you're sober. Or maybe you already gave up on your sobriety and you feel like a failure. You see yourself as a failure. I want you to know it's not too late to start again. You go back and you take another look. When you're ready to give up on your kids, your roommates, your coworkers, go back and take another look. If you're ready to give up on yourself, I'm begging you, go take another look. 
When you take another look, you're gonna see that there's a God that loves you, that's been there all along, that you can cast all your cares, all of your burdens, all of your worries on because he loves you and he cares for you. If you're watching from one of our prison facilities, take another look. Paul was no stranger to a jail cell and God was still with him and used him to be the single most effective person that led thousands of people to Christ and whose words we still read and take hope in today. You keep going, we keep going. Seriously, if God is for us, what circumstance, what mandate, what virus, what closure, what job loss, what year, or who could be against us? When you take a second look, you're gonna see that he is with you, that he's been there all along, that he cares for you and he has a second chance waiting for you. Just take another look. Now, if you're ready for that second chance, if you're in the room or you're online and you're tired of doing this on your own, I want you to know that his spirit is here. It's in this room right now. It's available for you. It's in your living room. He's available for you. He's in your car. He's available. He's standing in the middle of that road you've been walking. Now you can choose to listen to him or not, but if you're ready to listen to him, if you're ready to say, God, I'm ready to get off the ground. I'm ready to go blind to myself. I'm ready to focus on my faith in you. And I'm willing to take a second look and find my second chance in you. If you're ready to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, I want you to pray this prayer after me. So if everyone would bow their heads, they would close their eyes. Just pray, God, I believe that you love me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up, but I also know that you went to that cross for me, that you died a death you did not deserve, but then you rose again. Come into my life. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I commit my life to you, Father. And if you just prayed that prayer with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I just ask for your courage to just slip your hand in the air if you're in the room. If you're online, just also put your hand in the air. Just makes it all the more real for you, acknowledging before me that you made that decision. Thank you. Thank you. Incredible, thank you. God, I thank you for these hands. I thank you for these people who are courageous enough to just give their life to you right now, Father. I think all of us are tired of doing this on our own. 2020 was a hard year, Father, but it didn't win. It didn't take us out. We are better and we are stronger because you pulled us through. And I pray this year ahead that you just absolutely bless it, Father that you bless each one of us, just making us stronger, making us wiser. Let us not forget what we learned in 2020. Let us get up off the ground. Let us focus our faith in you. And let us go back and look again at all the good we can bring into this new year. As you continue to bless our lives, as you continue to change our perspective, we're gonna continue to give you all the credit and all the glory because you're a good God. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's give it up for all those that made decisions today to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior. If you did make that decision, we've got a resource for you. And I highly encourage you, if you made this decision today, if you made this decision in the past and you haven't grabbed this journal yet, 
It's a 21-day journal, and what better time than this time of year, the very start of a year, to get into a new habit and to go through this journal where daily you're just gonna get some great concepts on how to follow Jesus. All you have to do is go to central.family and type in, or just click the quick link that says, I've decided to follow Jesus, and we'll get you that free resource. But we just wanna say congratulations. So thankful that you chose Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And at this time, we're gonna go ahead and throw it over to our location pastors who are gonna walk us through some next steps. So let's give it up big for them. All right, let's give it up big for Pastor Nick. That was an incredible message. But I ask you to just hold your seats for just a second. Our ushers are gonna help us exit in a safe manner to keep everyone socially distant and safe. But hey, Pastor Nick gave us a lot of next steps that we can take. You've heard everything from being more generous to serving to being more involved. You can take any of these next steps right now. Just head out into the lobby if you're here at Henderson or navigate to central.family. There are people waiting outside. There are people standing by online and we'd love to help you take those next steps. Be sure you come back next week. Pastor Judd is starting a brand new series called Great Expectations. And hang on this week to Romans 8, where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Thanks, guys. Have a great one.